the show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. Dan. These fans or listeners, I don't really know if we have fans. These listeners are getting a double dose of us this week. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it leads to another fantastic nickname, and that's Double Dan. Should I change my name on here? Yeah, Double you Dan? definitely should change it to Double Dan. I mean, right, I'll do that. I'll do that in a little bit. But yeah, what is this? Two episodes in five days. Pretty good. Yeah. And there's a lot to talk about, too. There's a lot to talk about on Friday. There's still a lot to talk about today, so I'm pretty glad we're doing this. Definitely. I mean, a couple things not so exciting or exciting, but you know, a little bit on the bleaker side. And then, of course, you have um, some changes in the NFL playoff scenarios as well. You know, ones that we ourselves aren't, I guess, too happy about. But yeah. we'll learn to live with it. We've got a couple favorable matchups coming up, but we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, you know, I got to lead off the legal age episode of the ASM podcast with the most important question that's always asked in these episodes, and that's, Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Getting toward Christmas, fun time of the year. Um, but I, I should add, it's a it's a sad day because I, I know this episode, I don't know if it's going to come out on Tuesday or if anybody will be listening to it on Tuesday. No, it's going to um, come out on Wednesday. Okay, so so then if you're listening to this yesterday or at least this week, uh, Mississippi State head coach and football coach Mike Leach passed, Mike Leach passed away uh, at the age of 61, uh, had a what was reported as a severe heart attack um, and died a couple days later in the hospital. Just a, a really terrible situation. It's not just, um, you know, it's not just college football coach dies. Uh, it was it's an extremely. I don't know if you'd say eccentric because he was kind of like a like a monotone guy, but just a really unique personality that I feel yeah. like a lot of us could relate to. He had like that, you know, it's almost like he was trying to be funny, but like not really at the same time. Like it's just the way that, that you know, things came across that he said were really, really funny, but he was being deadpan serious the entire time. Just a great, uh, you know, great personality. And I mean, it 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 really attests to him himself that I honestly think that he was a better coach than his personality. And that's really saying something. I mean, the guy was just a, a true innovator and, and he was awesome. He really was. Yeah. He was a game changer. I think I saw, I, this stat is not going to be exact. Cause I, I really don't, I don't know how I could look it up, but uh, I saw somewhere um, he has, his quarterbacks have something like 11 of the top 20 passing performances um, in FBS history, something like that. Uh, he's got nine 600-yard games, if I had that correctly, out of quarterbacks from like a huge number of different quarterbacks. Most of them, in fact, I think just about all of them didn't really turn into anything in the NFL. Uh, that's how good the air raid offense was. And um, For those who don't know, he spent 10 years at Texas Tech from 2000 to 2009. They had a winning season every year. Uh, they went 11-2 and two in 2008, 11-1 in the regular season before a bowl loss. Um, he was fired for cause. They, they alleged that he mistreated a player. He basically spent the rest of his life fighting them about it. Um, you know, held a grudge against them, 
tried to get his money back. They wouldn't give him his money back. Uh, but luckily, he got another chance at Washington State where, you know, we we talk about Pac-12 after dark. That was Pac-12 after dark. You could turn on Washington State at midnight on the East Coast uh, and see some quarterback, whether it's Luke Falk or uh, Gardner Minshew, throwing for 500 yards and sometimes losing because that's the type of game his team's played. Um, I posted a, a screenshot of a game from uh, earlier today from 2019 where they lost 67-63. And the quarterback, Anthony Gordon, threw for nine touchdowns. Uh, and that was – that's Mike Leach football. That was the air raid offense. And he brought it to Mississippi State. And Will you know, Rogers. It, it, yeah, Will Rogers put up crazy numbers. Uh, and it looked like they he kind of had them on the same trajectory as Washington State. He had a losing season his first year and then a seven and six season his second year. And then they went eight and four this year. They beat Ole Miss for the first time uh, under him a couple weeks ago. And, you know, who knows in the SEC if they actually would have ended up winning 10 or 11 games like he did at his other stops. But uh, it's really unfortunate that he didn't get a chance to to see that one through. Yeah, and as soon as you said that about Texas Tech, I completely forgot, actually, um, that he spent that long in Texas Tech. Can you imagine <laughs> Mike Leach with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback? Mahomes probably would have thrown for like 800 yards a game. But you know what? He 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 had Cliff Kingsbury as his quarterback for a bit, and then Cliff Kingsbury ended up being the one to coach Patrick Mahomes. And That's Cliff really Kingsbury, a shame for Patrick Mahomes. Oh. <laughs> and Cliff Kingsbury, well, he listen, he got he got Cliff Kingsbury hired in Arizona just based on that, based on the fact that he turned into an MVP alone. But I guess that's a story for a different day. But you know, Cliff Kingsbury said today that Mike Leach basically taught him all he knew. Um, and he ended up coaching Patrick Mahomes. So I think Mike Leach had a huge influence uh, on Patrick Mahomes and kind of the the style of offense we see today in the NFL and college. A lot of it's influenced by him. Yeah, it's definitely a sad, sad thing to happen. And we were talking about it right before we started recording. It's it's nice to see that Mississippi State will still go through with their bowl game. Uh, like we talked about, it's obviously something that Mike Leach would have wanted. I mean. You know, that guy lived and breathed football his entire career. And um, I, I hope that Mississippi State are the hardcore betting favorites in that in that bowl game because I really don't think that they're going to lose. <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, I I, I kind of love those those betting lines where there's a storyline attached to them. You know, yeah. it feels like, oh, there's no way this team can lose. Um, you know, sometimes they don't work out. Like I think me and you talked about how uh, Baker Mayfield beating the Browns seemed like a destiny in week one, and it didn't happen. But Listen, listen, listen. Yes. Listen. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about swings and misses? I mean, this was the week where, and, and rightfully so, we were dragged through the mud. I mean, kind of kind of switching gears here to talking about just the utter atrocity that these live locks of the weeks were. And I mean – Dan, I think it's easy to say that we could just scrub the live lock of the week right out of our agenda for the rest of eternity. Yeah, we got to go back. We got to go back to the drawing board. That was uh, that was rough. And I mean, for, for for those of you who don't know, we will get into the game <laughs> aspect of it, but let's just take a look at these beauties real quick. Hold on, I'm pulling it up right now. I mean, uh, you can't take a bigger L. So me and my the way that my brain works thought that it was no way that the Minnesota Vikings weren't going to cover plus two or, or at least get within two points or whatever of 
the Detroit Lions. And that obviously didn't work out. And at least, see, mine wasn't, my, I think after the first quarter it was tied. And then after that, my, my, bet, my lock just went away after that. At least yours for a little bit longer was there. And then just had the most epic collapse I've ever seen. And and for those of you who don't know or, or don't remember, Dan had the Tennessee Titans minus three and a half over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I don't know which was worse. I mean, because at least yours was a it was a one possession game for a little bit, right, right at the end. Mine, I know that the Titans went up 14 to 7. Everything looked good. And then it was 33-14 in the blink of an eye. You know what um, you know what the best part about this is? <laughs> I'm looking at the caption that you put too, and it's our week 14 locks of the week. Last week was a big success. Well that's let's important. See what, let's see what today has in store. That's important. At least that means we're not we're not falling apart every week. We did have a really good week 13. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I were, but. on on my on my business, I guess if you want to call it, Instagram account, uh, for the mock draft guy, I always post because I like the little cross engagement that we get. So I always post it on, on my story and man, did I take some licks on, on posting it on my story. Some guy was like, wow. Yeah. These aged really well. He was like, don't quit your day job. And I was like, listen, I was like, we've actually done a good job this whole season flip-flopping between me and you. We've had some really good calls. They're only going to remember you for your worst call. So I don't, I really don't think it can get worse than this, Dan. So at least, at least we've hit the. I mean, listen, we've hit the low at week fourteen. So we've gone thirteen other weeks not being a complete laughing stock. But yeah, Twitter was unkind to us as well. But like I said, rightfully so. There's no justification after the fact of those picks. I mean, they were just. I mean, mine was doomed from the start. I we even talked about it that I, I was fully taking the bait, but there was one call that I had that at least court sort of kind of came out. And that was, I said, Justin Jefferson after having three catches for 14 yards in the first meeting with the Detroit lions was going to have 10 catches for 200 yards. And he had 10 catches for 213 yards. So, I mean, unless you listen to the episode, no one's going to catch that, but I guess well, it counts for something. For what it's worth, if people listen to the episode too, they know that I actually picked the lions. So I'll take the win on that one. It wasn't my lock, of, of course, but I did I did pick the Lions over the Vikings. So, um, small win for me. Yeah, and actually, I I, I I gave you credit too. That that Justin Jefferson line was not easy. I know that I know that he torched the Lions last year, but yeah, nobody I mean, just goes off for two hundred yards. I was, I was just going to say, anytime that you call someone having two hundred plus oh, yeah. yards, that's a pretty decent shot. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of half kidding, to be quite fair. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really no, think don't that. Say I, that. Don't say huh? that. Just stick with it. I'll no, no, no. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be transparent and honest. There was no way I thought that Justin Jefferson was gonna go for 200 because we've seen this before. In week one, Justin Jefferson had like 150 yards at halftime, and we were like, oh, he's gonna get close to Flipper Anderson's record, and then he finished with like 178. So we've seen like performances where Justin Jefferson kind of like tails off after a really, really hot start. But this guy, he was just consistent throughout the whole game. And Kirk threw for you know 425 yards as well, but I think if we want to get into it, I think the first game, I mean, this was, we already talked, oh, we already talked about the Thursday night game, which was mm-hmm. nice. We, we don't, we don't have to talk about that snooze fest uh, anymore. Uh, I'm not even going to lie to you. I know that I lost a lot of games this week. I'm not even going to look at the ESPN slate. This is by far my worst week of all. And I will tell you when we get up to it, a worse call than the Minnesota Vikings 
beating the Detroit Lions. We will get up to it, and I think you'll know what game it is when we get close to it. But uh, let me put, let me pull up the slate here right now. So the first game that pops up on my slate is the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. And, you know, as a Jet fan, with the Jets already holding a victory over the Buffalo Bills this year, I fully expected this to be a... I don't want to say a romp because I think that I honestly think Dan the days are over or at least this season the days are over where the Jets get torched you know what I mean like I don't I don't think that we're ever going I I don't think we're going to see that I mean the the only game that I really could see this whole year where the Jets were kind of out of it from start to finish was the game against the Bengals where it was like the scoreline was kind of close ish but the Jets were never really in it the Jets are pretty much in every single game that they play And uh, I didn't think that that was going to be the case this week. I really thought that Buffalo, in Buffalo, mind you, were going to come in and and pretty much trounce the Jets. And it it started to look like that once they took, uh, what was it, a a 14, was it a 17-3 or 14-3 lead they took? I don't remember. It was a a two-score lead, I know that. I think it was 14-3. Yeah, so they took a two-score lead over over the Jets. And the Jets weren't really doing anything on the offensive side of the football at that point, or at least they were but they weren't cashing in on golden opportunities. So I kind of thought that they were going to run away with it. I thought the final score was going to be like, you know, 24-3 or 28-3 or something like that. But the Jets really, really, really came back and surprised us. And they they, they fought really hard and they played really well. And Mike White, I mean, you know, like he said in the postgame, you would have had to peel me off that field. And that is what a franchise quarterback is made out of saying something like that. I don't know if Zach Wilson could have taken a couple of those hits. Granted, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that probably couldn't have taken both of those hits and came back. But, you know, he he played well for down the stretch. Yeah, there are some some there's some weird Jets fans on on Twitter, on social media that seem to be clinging to the idea that Zach Wilson should be the quarterback. You know, it's almost like people every time I, I think people just want to be different. I truly think that's it. It's like every time something happens to Mike White, uh, they, they're, they're like, Oh, well, you know, this is why he's not a franchise quarterback. He had one good game. And uh, you know, this is why Zach Wilson, uh, Zach Wilson should be on the field. He's had several good games. You know, I don't Mike know White what has only shown good things since he became yeah. the starter. And it's not just that one game. He played well against the Vikings. If they had cleaned up the red zone, um, which I think was more of a play calling thing. They would have won handily. Um, and then this week, you know, he's. What do we really think would have happened to Zach Wilson against the Bills in Buffalo in the rain and snow? Do we do we genuinely think he'd be throwing? I think Mike White threw for two eighty seven or something like that. Yeah. Do we think Zach Wilson would even top one hundred and fifty yards? Yeah, that's uh, no generous. No way. Yeah. Um, with that being said, though, I think it's time for Zach Wilson to be active on game day. Yeah. I think there's too much at stake right now to be putting Joe Flacco in the game and sending a message to Zach Wilson. I would rather just go out there and lose with Zach Wilson if Mike White gets hurt than, than put Joe Flacco in there so that he can get trampled by the defense. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. Arguably, the two biggest plays of the game, if you look at it you know, with hindsight being 2020, is the wide-open seam route to Tyler Conklin that was missed early earlier on in the game after Mike White took that first hit. And then, which would have not only put the Jets, would have given him a first down, would have put him way in field goal range and, and in prime opportunity to score. And then, obviously, the strip sack as well of Joe Flacco uh, was huge. And 
And I actually, I actually went on a. I'm sorry to cheat on you like this, Dan, but I went on a podcast last night as a guest, and uh, I know I'm shocking. <laughs> and we talked a little bit about the Jets, and I did mention how, you know, the NFL has evolved so much in the last few years to the point where a quarterback like Joe Flacco is completely obsolete. I mean, you know, and, and it's not even you. You can't even run an offense catered around a quarterback that can't move. It's impossible in today's NFL. And that's why that, you know, that's where the message that the Jets are sending uh, Zach Wilson kind of seems a little stupid in a way. Like, yeah, I fully understand that first week against the Bears. You want to send a message, you know, you know, yeah, don't do, you know, he's not active. Okay. Now it's a little silly uh, because, you know, we've seen this offensive line is not great. Mike White's going to take some licks. And, you know, there, there could be a few snaps that are very, very important that, he could be missing. So I think uh, I don't really have anything too negative to say on the Jets side of the ball. I do think that Mike LaFleur is a horrible play caller. And um, in the, the jet, the jets are dead last in red zone efficiency. And it's, it's not even close. It's, I think, I think they've had like, I think it's 39 or 40 trips to the end zone. They've only scored on like 17 touchdowns and then 40 trips to the end zone, which is, Putrid. That's terrible. Under 50% in the red zone is really, really bad. And they've had, a, I'm pretty sure it's like seven possessions in the red zone where they haven't even come away with a point. That's pretty crazy too. Um, and it's not only in, in the red zone. I mean, his first down calls are trash. I mean, every single drive starts with a halfback draw that goes for negative three yards. You know, you're, you're constantly putting yourself in a in, in a negative position. Uh, there's too many motions behind the line of scrimmage. Guys are getting confused. Uh, jets are, are either false starting or illegal motioning once a drive. I mean, it's the, the play calling needs to be cleaned up. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say that Mike LaFleur needs to be fired. Uh, that's a little crazy because he has had a couple of really good games that he's called, but he really needs to clean it up and get a little bit more aggressive. The Jets constantly on third and 10 plus are, are just, you know, conceding that the that the drive is over. Take a shot, man. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, I think that if I want to take a positive from this game though, the Jets defense clearly has something on the Bills. Like they they've got it down pat how to yeah. how to play Josh Allen. Josh Allen had virtually nothing going in the first half. They only ended up scoring the touchdown after those penalties. Um you know I understand the conditions weren't great. You know they weren't great for anybody. Uh, but that's still Josh Allen on the other side of the ball. They still have Stephon Diggs, who you didn't hear from in the first half. Uh, the fact that the defense played well against them twice, and who knows what would happen if Quinn and Williams didn't leave the game after the first half. He had an outstanding first half. Well, um, well, he basically he basically shut them down. He was the X yeah. factor for the Jets' defense because once he left, now, now granted, the, fir- the first couple drives after Quinn and Williams left the game were were bad, and I'm pretty sure those were both touchdown drives. Uh, but then the Jets, you know, acclimated to not having Quinn and Williams in there, and they played well. But you could have t- – we we were texting back and forth. We said, all right, let's see how this Jets defense does <laughs> without Quinn and Williams. And, like, right after that text was sent, Dawson Knox scores a touchdown. And we yeah, said, all right, well, that wasn't too great. <laughs> Luckily, he's only day-to-day, though. I thought I thought that was going to be – especially with the – I know some people speculated an Achilles injury, but they said calf, and even calf injuries are hard to come back from. Yeah. But luckily, he's day-to-day. Um you know, but uh, the Jets have reached a stage where every single game matters, and that's going to be a little bit of an issue if he's not able to go against the Lions because the Lions have an excellent offensive line. I was looking up; I was just looking at quarterback stats yesterday, and Jared Goff uh, takes 
very few sacks. It's yeah. like under under 20 sacks for the entire season, which is under two a game. Uh, so they're they're going to have to get to him if they want to. I know the de- the secondary is great. Jets defense is outstanding right now, but if you're not able to get to the quarterback, might be an issue. So um, luckily, he's going to be. It's not a long term injury or anything like that, but it's it's something that could very quietly be a difference maker if he's forced to miss a game or two. Yeah, I mean, eleven sacks and playing like an all pro. That's that's a huge miss in the middle of your defense there. And don't get me wrong, Jets have really uh, a really good depth. You know, you think Sheldon Rankins is back, Solomon Thomas is in there too. You could also move John Franklin Myers in to play defensive tackle and put um, Jermaine Johnson out on the edge with Bryce Huff. So the Jets have a lot of versatility. They consistently rotate nine defensive linemen. So you know, Quinn Williams, that is your best defensive lineman, but it won't have as Big of an impact as I guess we would think. He is an impact player, but the Jets do have a lot of playmakers on that defensive line. So you just kind of, kind of hope that it's a next man up mentality, and and someone can just step up in a big way. I mean, I, I tweeted it during the game. Jermaine Johnson needs to be playing a lot more. I mean, the, the the kid has been. A lot of people are saying he's a bust, but that's only because they haven't seen him on the field that much. When he's on the field, he's extremely effective, and. Um, you know, he made a really, really nice tackle for a loss. He blocked the punt as well um, for the Jets. You know, he, he's making a lot of impact plays. He just needs to get on the field a little bit more. But on the Buffalo Bills side of the ball, uh, I'm not really worried about this. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, Josh Allen still doesn't look the same. Well, you know, the Jets defense isn't a pushover anymore, and the conditions were bad. He played well enough down the stretch to get to get them the, the victory. And the best was afterwards where – in the press in the in the press conference after they said you know this doesn't look like a super bowl winning offense and he was just like okay <laughs> like, like yeah, what do you want me to say to that <laughs> yeah and he was like all right and then like threw his hand up like that's interesting but okay i thought that was really funny but uh you don't want to piss off josh allen i feel like maybe next week we'll we'll see a, a 300 yard four touchdown performance after hearing something like that yeah they did get bad news this week that von miller actually towards acl they they yeah. It sounded like his recovery just wasn't going the way they expected, and they did exploratory surgery, and they found a torn ACL. Um, they'll, they'll probably be okay, but it is it is tough. I was looking at some of the numbers. And he's he's like leading the league in quarterback pressures, even if the sacks weren't that high. So it's gonna be it's gonna be challenging. It's tougher for him though. Thirty three years old, gonna be thirty four in March, second torn ACL of his career. I think it's yeah. his leg too. Uh, so <laughs> that, that that's tough. But you know, a player as talented as him, you would think he'd be able to to come back and make an impact. For sure. I, I think he'll be fine. And and if any if, if Sunday was enough evidence for us is that Greg Rousseau is is more than capable of stepping into yeah. that role and, and being a difference maker. You know, you got Boogie Basham on the other side as well. So two young uh, defensive ends that are ready to make some plays. So it'll be interesting to see how those guys impact the game as the weeks go on. Uh, moving on to the next game here. Uh, you know, the Browns, really have Joe Burrow's number throughout his career. He's up until this point, he was what? 0-3, 0-4 against the Browns up until yeah, this I, point in his career. I think 0-4 because I think he said they were they were 1-4 against him after that game. Yeah, and uh and we've seen the 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 Bengals lose to some shocking Browns teams the last couple of years too. So it really felt like uh something that Joe Burrow needed to kind of shake off and and the, the Bengals are getting back to Super Bowl form. I mean, it was a little bit more of a, a little bit longer of a Super Bowl hangover that most of us would have thought, but 
the the Bengals are really really clicking at the right time. They're nine and four. It's only unfortunate that uh, they're in second place in the AFC North because of a one point tiebreaker with the Baltimore Ravens. But uh, with that matchup coming up soon, I don't think it's this week. I think it's soon though. Yeah. Uh, with that with that rematch coming up soon, you have to think that Cincinnati will be out for blood. But this team is firing on all cylinders. I mean, they lost T Higgins and. Tyler Boyd throughout the game and you know Joe Burrow even with essentially one target to throw to still made it happen with Jamar Chase and and um Trenton Irwin is someone who has been slowly like sliding into the Cincinnati offense and and being a difference maker the guy makes like one to two really big catches every week so you know that everyone is just clicking at the right time uh Samachia P Ryan is playing fantastic Joe Mixon got involved again back off I think what he wasn't on IR, but he missed the last couple of games. Um, you know, he's getting back. He had a good game too. Uh, you know, the Bengals are looking good defensively. They played very well as well. Yeah, this feels like a game that could have gotten more out of hand if uh, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd both didn't get hurt. Luckily, I don't. I don't think those are long term issues. So I think no. they're fine. But I, it feels like that game, the Browns would have been overmatched, especially with how ugly their defense has looked at points this year. Um, I'm very interested to see how the Bengals' defense performs against the Bucks. I don't think they're going to have any problem. But my my question is to myself is how dominant will they be? Because Tom Brady looks – well, Tom Brady and the entire offense continue to look like a mess. Uh, if you take out that last few minutes against the Saints, they look horrendous uh, over these last few weeks. So I'm kind of expecting the Bengals to come out and shut them down. We'll see. Either way, I think the Bengals win that game because of how good the offense is. Um, and you mentioned a bunch of those unheralded guys on the offense. That might be the difference between last year and this year. Last year was, and not a, it's not a problem, but it was all Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. That was it. There was some C.J. Uzama, uh, and that was that was pretty much that. This year, even when those guys go out, Trenton Irwin's getting involved. They had Chris Evans catching some touchdowns. Uh, Samaje Piran against the Chiefs two weeks ago. I know we didn't recap that week. Samaje Piran looked like a superstar. I mean, uh, he's, he's been fan in 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 you know when he has to step in and play, he's been fantastic the entire he's year. Developed into one of the top uh, complementary running backs in the league. He he could do it all. He's a pass catcher too. So now all of a sudden you've got Hayden Hurst is getting involved. They've got all these guys where if they can if they can make sure T Higgins, Tyler Boyd are healthy along with Jamar Chase down the stretch. I'm not sure there's a more dangerous offense in the AFC other than the Chiefs. I mean, right now they look like they're ahead of the Bills offense. Yeah. Um, yeah, the <clears> only <throat> downside so far is that they haven't been able to get over the hump in that division. And it's really not their fault. It's that the Ravens were bailed out against the Broncos because the Broncos are the Broncos. Uh, and then they somehow managed to beat the Steelers because the Steelers are the Steelers. And Kenny Pickett got hurt and Trubisky threw three interceptions. This weekend they play the Browns. They won't have Lamar Jackson. This is the Ravens. They won't have Lamar Jackson. They won't have Tyler. They may not have Tyler Huntley. He has a concussion. So it may be Anthony Brown or it could be Huntley against the Browns. The, the, they'll win. They'll win 15 to 14. I don't know. If, yeah, that's just if, how it's going. Anthony Brown is out there. I don't know. Nick Chubb tends to play pretty well against the Ravens. So maybe yeah. Nick Chubb will just lead, lead that Browns offense to a home win. But either way, like you said, Bengals control their own fate. They play the Ravens again, I think, in January. So that's that's a game where they can easily just take the division if nothing else goes their way. Yeah, and and the last point I'll make on the Bengals themselves is uh, I think they answered a, a question that we've been really. I mean, re, may, maybe two weeks ago they answered this question, but 
are the Bengals for real? Are they here to stay as one of the heavy hitters in the AFC? You know, can they go toe-to-toe with the Bills? Can they go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs? They definitely can. And I think that they're here to stay in the long run. As long as everyone, God willing, can stay healthy and they could keep a lot of these guys together and have a, a core nucleus of young players, the, the Bengals are a force to be reckoned with for a long time. So I think they definitely answered that question in the last couple of weeks, especially with that next man up mentality and not being fully healthy against the Chiefs, not being fully healthy against the Browns and still getting the job done. On the Brown side of the ball, you're really just looking towards next year. The Browns went into this year already looking towards next year for the most part, uh, but the Browns have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. If if you if you take out Wyatt Teller and Joel Petonio, they have a very, very below average offensive line, and uh, they have no weapons really. Donovan Peoples-Jones has, has turned into a, quite a nice weapon, and they have Amari Cooper as well, And and but really everywhere else, it's, it's, it's pretty barren. They, they really need to, uh, whatever, whatever draft capital they have left, whatever money they have left, they really need to invest heavily in this offense. Because we've seen from time to time, the Browns' defense actually plays pretty well. Uh, but, you know, the offense just sputters way too much. Yeah, defense is getting better. I still think Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator, needs Pretty to fired. go. But yeah. They played. They won that game against the Texans. I know that's easier said. Than, I know that's not that uh, tough, I mean, to beat the Texans. But the defense did it themselves, and then they didn't do a terrible job against the Bengals. But, uh, yeah, I think I think the next few games are just continue to see what you have, evaluate guys. I thought Deshaun Watson played better against the Bengals than he did against the Texans, which it says which something. interesting. Considering Considering the Bengals, yeah, well, I mean, he's, I think he's getting more acclimated. Yeah. Um, plus he, you know, Houston might've been a little bit of a distraction. Uh, but I, I, I think that's a, a slightly positive sign. I don't think he still played well, but I think you can, you can, he threw a touchdown pass. I know he had one bad interception. You can take it and kind of just hope for the best going forward and hope that he's going to turn into something week by week. And then you can go into next year with some confidence. Uh, but right now, yeah, it, it's all about 2023. I know technically they're not out of it at five and eight, but I'll say they're out of it if they will. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll agree with you on that. And then uh, moving on to the next game, I guess, it, it, is, it, is it weird? I mean, at this point when you're like 1-12-1, and one, uh, I guess losing in the final minute against the Cowboys when you were 17-point underdogs is kind of like a victory for the Houston Texans. I mean, there was no real doubt in my mind that the Cowboys weren't going to drive down the field and score the game-winning touchdown because that's just how the NFL is. And, and you know, you don't see – I mean, this year is different, but you don't really see massive upsets like that too often. It's just the way that the NFL plays out. But the Cowboys uh, – I, I don't even – you know, I want it to be a little controversial and say that this win really showed some holes – but it really didn't. Everyone has a bad game. Dak Prescott didn't really play that good at all. But, you know, everyone has a bad game. We're actually talking about a Texans defense that if you take out their atrocious run defense, they actually have a top half defensive uh, unit. So it, they're not as bad as everyone thinks they are. It's just that, you know, you could run the ball down their throat 50 times and get 500 rushing yards out of it. But their pass defense really isn't that bad. So um, I, don't, I think it's a little overplayed. I mean, CD Lamb was essentially a non-factor. You know, he was he was taken away with safety help over the top. They basically doubled him the whole game. Uh, you know, they got decent pressure on the Dallas offensive line. 
Uh, Terrence Steele being out for the rest of the year is is a big hit for the Dallas offensive line. I know he's not great, but he has been playing better. Now you have a 39-year-old Jason Peters who hasn't played really at all this year stepping in. So that's something. I mean, class is class. He'll probably still be great. But, you know, it's 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 an interesting storyline to follow into the next game. But this is just business as usual for the Cowboys. I, I mean, didn't we go over this a couple weeks ago when – they lost to the Green Bay Packers and then they beat the Minnesota Vikings by 37 points. Like, you know, this is the Cowboys we're talking about. We're going to have a bad performance. You're going to have a world beater performance. This is what we've seen all year from them. Yeah. The issue lately though, has been the slow starts because you can't afford that in the playoffs. So they started slow against the Giants. Didn't look that great in the first half. Uh, Very slow against the Colts. We all know what that turned into in the fourth quarter, but they did start slow. And this week it it was more of a, slow game than a slow start, but it would count as a slow start. Um, I, I think, I think on the Texan side of things, because I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm not too concerned about the Cowboys. I know they have the talent. I think they just need to play with a little more urgency early on. Um, on the Texan side, it, it almost would have been better for them if they didn't get that late interception of Dak that mm-hmm. set them up right near the goal line with a chance to basically ice the game. Because it was a feel-good story before then. And if Dak went down the field, you say, all right, well, you know, the Cowboys are the better team. But they they had a chance right at the five-yard line or whatever it was to take it in. They had four plays, and they couldn't – they could barely even get a yard out of it. Um, it was poor execution. I think they asked Lovey Smith about it after the game, and he's like, oh, we just didn't execute. And he's uh-huh. right. He, maybe he's the reason, but he's right. Because, honestly, <laughs> you got four plays from – Well, Pep Hamilton is the reason. He's been horrible. Yeah, well, Pep Hamilton is, needs to go. Um, he he failed with the Colts. He's failing with the Texans now. Uh, but you know you have all those chances from from inside the five yard line. You need to do something. I know Damian Pierce wasn't on the field at the end. He had a, some kind of injury he was dealing with, and him struggling and not playing as well as he did earlier in the season is partially the problem for them right now. Let me but, let me ask you a question. It, it just dawned on me because you know we're talking about Pep Hamilton. We're talking about Lovey Smith. Let me ask you this. You know. There's so many different ways that the Houston Texans could go with the number one overall pick. And the betting odds and myself will tell you that it should 100% be quarterback. But also when you have generational talents and they're like Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, guys like that, it's very possible with Caleb Williams looming large the next year, it's very possible that you could see a defensive talent being taken and then hopefully they just lose enough games to get Caleb Williams. Do you just ride with Lovey Smith for another year or do you, you know, go out, do you get a D'Amico Ryans? Do you get a Kellen Moore now? Or like, what, what would you do? Cause I mean, I don't think uh, D'Amico Ryans has been fantastic this year. I, he can't fix that defense. Kellen Moore has been a great play caller for how long now? Don't think he could really fix the offense. Do you think that they should get the players that they should get the tools for the coach first and then go out and get the coach or just kind of, ride it for one year with a new coach it feels like if they're gonna if they're gonna take a quarterback which you know while you make a compelling while you make a compelling case for them not to i think they will um i think they i mean listen it's the texans so they don't really they're not really used to making fans happy but i feel like they're gonna lose half the fan base or half of what's left if they don't take a quarterback they can't go through another year like this at least not without some hope so i think they take a quarterback I don't think you could put that quarterback through another year of Lovey Smith. I just, I, I can't see it. I think you have to go out and find a guy, um, you know, do a comprehensive search on like the last two years 
uh, and find the guy who's going to be your coach for the next five to 10 years, ideally, um, even if it takes a while and, and sell that coach on the idea of, you know, we're going to draft Bryce Young or whoever it is, and you're going to have a chance to be his quarterback, his head coach long-term. The good news for them, they will not have as much competition as they did last year for head coaches. There were 10 teams that needed a head coach last year, including Houston. This year, there's going to be a few, but it's not going to be as many. That's just the natural result of there being so many changes last year. Um, you know, probably the Broncos. I, I'm not sure about the Panthers at this point. They may, they probably stick with Steve Wilkes. I would. Um, the Colts, I'm leaning toward they will be looking for a coach, but he, you never know with Jim Irsay. But, Dude, you know, there's not. Fighting Jeff Saturdays. How many times am I going to tell you that? I don't, I don't have a good feeling about it, but you never know. Um, but but with with nine other teams they competed with last year, I think this year is going to be an easier path to finding that guy. So I'm still sticking with the traditional path of hire an offensive coach. And I love D'Amico Ryan. So maybe if they if they want D'Amico Ryan's and they have an offensive coordinator they really like, do that too. Um, but I think I think you got to find the right coach and you got to draft a quarterback now. I know that Caleb Williams is a better prospect than Bryce Young. But I, I, I just Bryce, – Bryce Young plays with such intelligence. I mean, we know he's got the talent, but he carries himself like such an NFL quarterback. I think the only question, you know, maybe his size, but I, I feel very confident in him as a prospect. So I, I feel like you've got to just go for it right here. I, I got a very interesting Twitter update as soon as we're talking about this. From NFL Rookie Watch, several NFL scouts believe that Will Levis is the best quarterback prospect available in the upcoming draft. Now, I don't even want to get into it because if you guys – I don't know how many cross fans I have here but or cross listeners, but I am not a big fan of Will Levis, and I think that he seems just, just – he seems like Baker Mayfield 2.0. He really does. And while Baker Mayfield still could turn out to be great, we've seen the worst in Baker Mayfield, and it's not good. Uh, that's what Will Levis looks like to me, but uh, I mean – I'm going to have to go with you. I think my I think my quarterback prospect list is kind of uh, more skewed than other people. Like, I'll give you my top five right now. In order is – now, this could ch- – subject, subject to change depending on how well C.J. Stroud plays in the college football playoff. I think it's very, very 1A, 1AA with C.J. Stroud and um, Bryce Young. So I'm going to go Bryce Young, 1, C.J. Stroud, 2, Anthony Richardson, 3. Uh, will Levis will be four for me, and then Hendon Hooker will be five. But uh, it's very close between Hendon Hooker and Will Levis. I just, you know, I, Will Levis doesn't do it for me. But anyway, I digress. It's going to be interesting to see how Houston attacks this offseason because obviously Lovey Smith is not the long-term answer. David Culley was not the long-term answer either. Now we're going on an organization that's going to be on their third head coach in three years. So. Not really looking too great uh, for Nick Casario and company. But moving on, the next game. Ah, beautiful. The next game on the slate is my lock of the week where the Lions absolutely shitted in my mouth and beat the Minnesota Vikings 34-23. And, I mean, can I just say something here, Dan? Forget the lock of the week. As a pure football fan, can you imagine a situation where we have the New York Jets and the Detroit Lions into 15 weeks of the NFL season firmly in the playoff hunt. That's a huge game coming up between them. 
I mean, and the bet, and I mean, the NFL just writes its own storyline <laughs> sometimes. And this is this is exactly one you gotta feel like. I think before we get into this game, I think that if the Jets beat the Lions, it's not as bad for the Lions if it was the other way around. The AFC is far more competitive right now than the NFC. So I feel like even if the Detroit Lions were to lose, they would still firmly be in the playoff race at six and I eight. Know, but they'll be, I mean, but six and eight. That that's tough, especially because the Seahawks have the tiebreaker. Yeah, but the Seahawks are also going to be playing the 49ers. They're not winning that game and they're going down. Yeah, but they're, but they're still a game ahead of the Lions in that case. Yeah. Three weeks to go. I mean, that means they have to make up either have to make up two games in three weeks on the Seahawks, or they have to really hope that one of the Giants and Commanders keeps losing. It's going to be a tough road. I'm yeah, I think the Giants. I, I think the I firmly believe that the Giants are are done and dusted at this point. But uh, I, I, but that's what I'm saying. So you have more teams that are kind of done and dusted at the, at this point than in the AFC, where you got to feel like if the Jets wind up at 700 after 14 games, of 700, 500. I'm sorry, after after 14 games, that would be great if it was at 700. Um, <laughs> if they end up at 500 after 14 games, it's kind of over at that point. Especially if you know the, the especially if the Patriots win again. And they have they have the undoubted tiebreaker over the Jets. So it'll... yeah, but the but the the there's no such thing as done and dusted if the Giants are seven six and one and the Lions are six and eight. That's a game and a half in you know in three weeks they have to make up, which really means you have to make up two games in three weeks. I just it's not an easy path at that point to go nine it, and eight and have to hope for help. No, it, it it isn't. You're right, but at the same time, the AFC is still far more competitive than than the NFC right now, and play at least what I'm seeing playoff picture wise, but uh, getting into the game itself. I mean, this is obviously the most impressive victory. I feel like the, the Detroit Lions have had all year basically controlled the game from an offensive standpoint, the entire game uh, played perfect bend, but not break defense to the point where Kirk cousins was able to throw for 425 yards and not score more than 23 points. Um I mean, this is the type of football that we expected from the Lions this year, and it's so sad that they got off to a six, a one and six start, or a one and five start, whatever it was. Because if they were playing during that bad stretch, if they were playing football half as decent as they are now, they'd, I think, they'd be in the number seven spot right now. Yeah, and how about how about Dan Campbell's uh, trick plays? He had two of them. He had a fake punt on fourth and seven. That works. And not only did it work, it took them all the way down the field and they yeah, ended up scoring yards. a touchdown off of it. And then uh, toward the end, when they need to ice the game, they got a first down with Panay Sewell. They, they made him eligible. Uh, and we got a, a big man first down. I mean, it, that, it, that takes some guts. He's, he's earning himself uh, not only a lot of attention and a lot of respect, but probably a, a few more years in Detroit with the way he, these calls are turning out. Um, how about Jared Goff though? You've been on it saying you've been on it since before the season, saying that if you put the right if you put Jared Goff in the right situation, he's actually a pretty pretty solid quarterback. And this year, I think he's top ten in passer rating. Now he's he has barely thrown any interceptions in the last few weeks. He looks like a franchise guy. Yeah, if you take away that that beatdown that the Patriots gave the Detroit Lions, where I think he threw like three picks. He's having a, a Pro Bowl-esque season. I'm pulling up the stats right now because um, I know I looked at them the other day and I know he's like fourth in the league in like QBR and stuff like that. Like he's having a very, very good season. And it, it really makes me laugh that people look – see, like fans are never satisfied. And fans of 
bad football teams are especially never satisfied because every time I put out a mock draft and I don't have the Lions taking a quarterback with the number four overall pick, they go, well, why not? We have Jared Goff. Well, dumbass, Jared Goff is having a fantastic freaking football season right now. Yeah, and he definitely earned himself another year. Look at all those guys from the 2021 draft. You know that there were, what, five first round picks? How many of them would you take over? I'm talking right now. Would you take over Jared Goff right now? Probably just Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you know, this is, you can't just bet on like, oh, look, there's a, a, a highly rated quarterback prospect. That's a franchise quarterback, and he's better than what we have now. Who, who says he's better than what you have now in Jared yeah. Goff? If you got the number one pick through, you know, who do they have that pick through? The right, was it, it's the Rams, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you got the number one pick, which after the Baker Mayfield thing doesn't look likely. Um, you know, maybe I'd consider it. Okay. But number four, it feels like you're just going to get leapfrogged for Bryce Stone or CJ Stroud yeah. anyway at two or three. You, uh, uh, there was a report this weekend that Jared Goff is in their plans to be the quarterback, uh, not just next year, but maybe even long term. And it's and it's right. It's absolutely justified. I mean, you're also looking, you're looking at a guy who was taken number one overall. He's only 28 years old. So you could argue that he might be just entering his prime right now, especially for the quarterback position where we've seen quarterbacks enter their prime at 34 years old. You know, he could be just entering his prime. Look, I'm going to read off some stats, a 97.8 quarterback rating. It's, it's great. Not amazing. You know, you would like to see that a little bit over a hundred. 61.2 QBR, which is sixth in the league. He's got 22 touchdown passes, 3,352 yards, seven interceptions, and three of them came in one game against the Patriots defense. I mean, the guy is – I mean, look at career stats too. 148 touchdowns, 70 interceptions, 25,000 passing yards. The guy really has gotten slandered a lot. And see, this is what I was afraid of. This is kind of what I was talking about with the Trevor Lawrence thing where it was like he was the number one overall pick, but you put unreal expectations on him to the point where you automatically think that he's a bust every year of his career, but he's actually had a nice career. Trevor Lawrence has been fantastic this year. Jared Goff has been fantastic this year, and he's actually had a pretty decent career. Like I said, is he a guy that you could stick on the Houston Texans and he's going to make him a playoff team? No. Is he a guy that if there are pieces already in place, he will perform? Absolutely, and we're seeing it in front of our eyes right now. To the point where I think that after this year, Jared Goff is completely justified as as the starter for for the the long term future for the Detroit Lions. What if it's not broke? No, oh, yeah, we'll fix it, and, and it's getting better too. Because you could say, look, if they had Amon Ross St. Brown healthy earlier in the season, he had a, a few weeks where he was injured or limited. They might have won another game. They might be seven and six, and then Jameson Williams. What if you had him the whole year? I mean, he he caught his first touchdown pass on Sunday. I think he's going to be fantastic next year. He's going to be amazing. So, you know, you're playing pretty well this year, maybe a playoff team. All of a sudden next year, you bring back the whole offensive line because I I believe they're all under contract. Now you've got Amon Ross St. Brown and Jamison Williams on the field. Uh, You know, they've also traded TJ Hawkinson and haven't been any worse. They've they've actually been better. And I don't think it's because Hawkinson wasn't good. I think it's because – the system that they have in place, the offensive line is really good. Amon Ross St. Brown looks like a number one receiver. Uh, if you can, I think it's not like they've topped out this year. I think they can legitimately keep building these pieces around Jared Goff next year. I think there's, you know, unless they end up with the number one pick or something and they maybe want to sit somebody behind Goff, 
there's it's it's a, a no-brainer to just go forward with what they got. Keep yeah. building. They obviously can do a lot better defensively, so they can use that yeah. number four pick or whatever. I think right now it's number four. It's number four, yeah. They, uh, it looks like they're going to be able to get an elite defensive talent. Yeah. There really aren't that many uh, other teams better set up right now than the Lions. But the I mean, I think it would be. Set, I'll take it one step further and even say that if the Lions were to somehow get the number one overall pick, to to for me, a number one overall pick is not someone that should be sitting and waiting. That is an NFL ready talent that is going to contribute elitely right away. And there are two players that are ready to contribute in an elite way right away. So if the Detroit Lions have the number one overall pick, you know, you're looking at Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. I'm not even thinking about a quarterback at that point. You and, know, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, by the way, has been much, been much great. better lately. And then like, the only, the only, the, Vikings. the only problem that I have with the Detroit Lions defense really is the fact that other than Aiden Hutchinson, they're not really creating any pressure whatsoever. Right. Like, I so think if you had somebody who knows, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a ridiculous duo you might have on that uh, front seven. So, I'm, yeah, I mean, it, it's the, the future is as bright as it's ever been in Detroit. It, and and on the flip side, remember how we were talking about a few weeks ago that Minnesota is the team that we thought they were. But now in this way, they are the team that we really, truly thought they were. And they are just a mediocre team that loves to play one score games and are sort of going to they're going to win one score games and they're going to lose one score games all the time. They just they love to be close. And I mean, this game wasn't I, I don't really think this game was ever really that close up until, you know the fourth quarter maybe. Uh, but I don't know. The, the, the Vikings are just – the Vikings are going to be a one-and-done football team in the playoffs. That's what they're going to be. Well, well, as of today, they play the Giants in the first round. <laughs> okay, so they'll be a two-and-done playoff two done, team. Two-and-done. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I don't think they're mediocre. I think the reason – I think we saw the reason why. That offense, it used to be like, okay, in, in games like these, it's because Kirk Cousins throws two interceptions and throws for – 190 yards and you know he doesn't show up he the offense is there even in these games the one game they weren't there was against the uh the cowboys the offense is there it, it's genuinely really talented i think the defense just needs to continue to put it all together um you know i'm, I'm not too concerned about about this loss i mean i i, I predicted the lions to win they're obviously still going to win the nfc north comfortably maybe they're going through a little bit of a lull right now um, and I'm not saying that they're going to like go to the a- NFC Championship game. I mean, if you put them against the 49ers right now, I'm sure they lose, and it's really not their fault. It's just the fact that they're not as talented. Um, but I, I'm the fact that the offense is still playing really, really well is promising to me. It makes me feel like they can easily go out and beat a team like the Giants or even the Seahawks or even the Commanders in the playoffs. And I don't I know think it so. sounds like. I, I don't think, think so. they can do that. In I don't think. I mean, I, I, all I'm saying, I'm, I, the other, the first two teams, I'm going to agree with you on the Commanders. Not so much. I think that if they face the Commanders, a team that they just eked out a victory over, I think the Commanders got their number yeah, in that but, one. But I feel like they have a real home field advantage in Minnesota. We saw it against the Patriots. They have a. Uh, they, we didn't they see it really against the Jets. <laughs> they beat the Jets. I mean, they rose up in in the red zone. I don't know. I don't know if that's no, that was Mike Lefeur's fault to them, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just every time that I'm ready to sink my teeth into this Minnesota Vikings football team as being legit, they pull some shit like this where they they lose pretty convincingly against the Detroit Lions. So, I, is it possible that through 14 weeks the jury is still out on a team like the Minnesota Vikings, who are clearly going to run away with their division, and we still don't really know what kind of team they are? Uh, you know, 
it's interesting. It, it really is. And uh, I'm very excited because the next game on this slate just so happens to be the other lock of the week, which is the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans. So, you know, what? I'm going to shut up for a minute. I'll let you talk about this one first, Dan. I think the only oversight I had here is that Trevor Lawrence is really, really good. He he's he's this is not just a once in a while thing now. I know he had a tough week against the Lions last week. He hurt his toe. Um, but that was part of my reasoning coming into this week. I said, well, you know, he's got this foot injury. He hasn't practiced. They say he's gonna play. Going he doesn't he didn't need no practice. That's no, the exactly. Going against the Titans defense that should play better after kind of getting hit in the face against the Eagles. Uh, and they just didn't. I mean, Trevor Lawrence outclassed them. He outplayed them. He even showed some emotion. He waved He waved goodbye to the Titans fans, uh, you know, to a lot of boos there, uh, which usually you usually don't see that from Trevor Lawrence. He's playing with with an energy now that he hasn't had uh, these, these last couple of years. So I think Trevor Lawrence is unlocking his potential. I think Doug Peterson is, is I, I, he's not going to be coach of the year because they're five and eight. You know, even if they win a few more games, he won't be coach of the year. But he, I think he's done one of the best coaching jobs this year. I think a lot of people underestimated just how hard it was to dig out of what Urban Meyer put them in. And clearly we're starting to see the real potential of Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars shine through. On the Titans side, I don't really know what to believe. I mean, they, they, the defense should be better than this. I know that they don't have everyone healthy. But that was the case too when they played the 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 um the Chiefs. They played them very well, and they played a few other teams really well. I don't really know how to explain why they're just melting down all of a sudden. I think it goes beyond just Trevor Lawrence being better than any of us thought. Um, it, this is just that wasn't the type of game you usually see from Mike Vrabel team. I just the think reason, their offense sucks. It, it, yeah, but it has all year, and the reason why I picked them in this one is. The Eagles game wasn't usually what you see from Mike Vrabel team, and I thought that they would respond. And the fact that they didn't respond at home against a team they beat earlier in the year, I believe, is not a good sign. I yeah, I know the offense hasn't been great, but it's not a good sign. And Derrick Henry was outstanding in the first half and terrible in the second half. I don't really know what to make of that either. That's a great coaching adjustment by Doug Peterson, though. No, it is. I mean, yeah. whatever they did, whether him or defensive coordinator uh, Mike Caldwell, whatever they did to, to figure out how to defend Derrick Henry worked tremendously because they, they shut him down completely. Even that they shouldn't have even gotten the 22 points. I think that was late in the fourth quarter. So they, they completely shut him down in, in the second half. It, it, it's too bad that the, they're playing in the AFC, not the NFC. Otherwise, I'd say the Jaguars are in the playoff mix because of how well they're playing. Um, but clearly next year, they're going to be a team that everybody has as like a six or seven seed making that leap, even, maybe yeah. even winning the division. Yeah, a lot of people even had that uh, this year. And I yeah. definitely think with how weak that division is looking next year so far, I think they'd, I think they'd be the favorite. They might, you know, you're always going to say. You yeah. have to think they'd add, too. I think they have more cap space. So you'd have to think they're going to make some moves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, need to improve. they definitely need to improve their secondary. Um, their offensive line needs some work as well. Only reason I'm rattling this off the top of my head is because I just finished putting the mock draft together. So it's fresh in my head. But um, yeah, no, definitely looking bright there. Uh, next game on the slate, uh, you have the Eagles and the Giants. And this was a pretty, pretty anticipated matchup because you have the surprise Giants going against the Surprise Eagles, I guess you would say, because everyone thought they were going to be good. I don't think anyone expected them to be nearly this good and nearly this complete as a football team. But, you know, 
they just dominated. I feel like the scoreline doesn't even tell the entire story of the game to where I, I'm pretty sure it was like 48-14 late in the game and the Giants, as usual, scored a meaningless touchdown to make the scoreline look a little bit better. But Tyrod Taylor in the game. I mean, this this team is – they're unbelievable. It, it, it really is. They are absolutely unbelievable. Uh, every aspect of the game is a master class. I mean, their running game is phenomenal. Their passing game is phenomenal. Their offensive line play is top two. Their defense, ferocious. They rally to the ball. They get pressure. They get knockdowns. They're awesome. They really are. It's. I think. It, it, I really think it's time to look at the Eagles if we haven't looked at the Eagles already as the best team in football. And I think that they've justified that fact that they are the best team in football right now. Yeah, I mean, they teams that win the Super Bowl usually have a great blend of young talent and experience, and they've got that. Perfectly. I mean, look at the offensive line. Lane Johnson's been there for 10 years. Jason Kelsey's been there for 12 years. Uh, on the defense, I know they're, uh, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox aren't really their biggest contributors, uh, but their rotational But they have stuff. been in years past. Yeah, and they've both been there for more than a decade. I mean, they've got that experience. And then, of course, they've got all this flashy talent. I don't think anybody expected uh, Jalen Hurts to be this good. I don't think anyone expected him and A.J. Brown to have such a great connection uh, instantly like they have. And now Devontae Smith is starting to play really well, making big plays. They still don't have Dallas Goddard back. I was going to say, don't forget Dallas Goddard's yeah, coming back to back in a, in a couple of weeks, probably and, maybe by the time they play the Cowboys. And um, he was in the midst of his best um, season yeah. to date too. And by the time they play the Cowboys in that, what should be a really fun matchup on uh, Christmas Eve, I think he's supposed to be back. Um, and then, you know, look at that defense. They've got all these younger guys, Josh Sweat, Jordan Davis, um, I know Robert Quinn is on IR, which is unfortunate because I thought he was going to be a nice rotational piece for that pass rush. But there's so much. I mean, you lose somebody like Robert Quinn and it's like, you know, who really cares? There's so much uh, depth on both sides of the ball that, yeah, the only thing that it feels like they can stop them right now is inexperience at quarterback. You know, you know, that's not a <laughs> knock on Jalen Hurts. Like he's been tremendous. He's proven me wrong every step of the way because I thought maybe they I thought they'd win the division in spite of him. That's how good they were. Um, you know, but I, I was kind of thinking today, well, we see a lot of young, inexperienced quarterbacks get to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow, uh, Cam Newton, Jared Goff. Um, Jared Goff. Absolutely. That's the, actually the first one I thought of earlier. Um, cause he's somebody who thrives in a really good system that year. Um, I, I, I almost want to say Jimmy Garoppolo, but he faced an even more inexperienced quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. So the question going into the playoffs is – talk about Jimmy like that. He's incredibly handsome. He is. He's incredibly handsome. But the – so is Jalen Hurts, though. So the only yeah, – yeah, That is true, yeah. <laughs> the only question is going into the playoffs, is he going to turn out something, you know, like Joe Burrow, where he's good enough to get that far, but there's a little – there's some issues uh, in the Super Bowl, or, you know, can he, can he yeah. be as talented as Patrick Mahomes was and get there? You know, I think he can, and the reason why I think it is is because – this offense just seems so unstoppable because even when they're not playing great, there's so many different aspects. There's so many different layers of this offense. I mean, when AJ, well, it's been a rare occasion, but when AJ Brown isn't playing great, Devonta Smith is playing great and vice versa. You know, Dallas Goddard can be the guy that takes over the passing game. They could run the ball down your throat. And even if Miles Sanders isn't playing well, Jalen Hurts can scramble for a hundred plus yards. It's just like, it's almost so impossible to play defense against this team right now because of just how well and they they dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball 
that's the th- that's a huge that's that's the biggest thing too. You you win football games in the trenches, and we haven't seen that that much in the last couple of years. But this year is a testament to well, the Eagles have a top five line on both sides of the ball, and they're twelve and one. You know, and they've already clinched a playoff spot. Like, you know, it, it's something to lo and behold. And also, a lot of people that are saying that the Eagles have a very soft schedule. The Eagles are five and one against playoff teams right now. So yeah, stick yeah, that in your own. People who say that that made sense maybe like the first two weeks or something or three weeks. It's it's completely ridiculous. Nobody else is twelve and one. Nobody else is even eleven and two. Yeah. Um, how about the fact that we went through that whole thing and then. Uh, it wasn't until the end that we even mentioned the running game. That's how I know we mentioned the offensive line, and that's a big part of it. But I mean, they've had like they've had a handful of excellent rushing performances this year. Miles Sanders uh, has his first thousand yard season. Jalen Hurts could probably run for a thousand himself if he really wanted to. And they've got like three other guys back there that can make an impact. Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott, who of course had a touchdown against the Giants this past weekend because that's what he does. Um, yeah, and then on the Giants side. I think, I mean, this is who they are. They, this is who they are, except Saquon Barkley is not playing as well as he did earlier in the season. And part of that is uh, he's dealing with some kind of injury right now. I know he was 50 50 to play on Sunday, uh, but they just, they don't have the offense to keep up with the team like the Eagles. And the defense could be playing better. I will yeah. you know, be honest about that. Yeah, the, the Giants are burning out. That's exactly what it is. They were playing such quality football at the beginning of the year. Uh, the offense, like you said, it, w- it was what it was. We're going to run the offense through Saquon. Saquon is tired, and he's starting to pile up the injuries. And you don't have anyone else that could take over the offense. You pay Kenny Galladay like he could take over the offense, but you could probably pay me you know, a 1,000th of what you're paying him. And I might churn out more yards in the NFL than Kenny Galladay has this year. You definitely their defense, have their t- Yeah, right? Their, G- their defense is was never the most talented, but you were getting the absolute utmost production out of what you had. And they're still I I like to think at their worst, they're still a top 15 unit, but they were playing like a top seven unit at one point. Now we're starting to see them burn out because they're on the field so often. It it's it's like they could never, I mean when the Giants were winning football games, they were controlling time of possession. And they once you lose the time of possession game for the Giants, you lose the game because they're def- you're asking a tremendous amount from your defense. And this is an offense that could literally go three and out in like 17 seconds. Oh, yeah. You know, so basically what they did against the commanders a few yeah. times. So they it's a tired unit. That's what it is. And I don't think it's going to get better. I honestly think that if they I, I'm going to go out as far as saying that if they lose to the commanders, I think their season is pretty much over playoff wise. I don't think, I don't think they play the Eagles again, right? Yeah. If you, yeah, they have to play the Eagles again. That's as close to an automatic loss. Unless I think that's, I think that's pretty much it at that point. Unless, unless they play in week 18, because I know they, the Eagles, I mean, they're going to be in a position to rest everybody if they really want to. They could probably rest people now and still play (laughs) and still play well. You're probably right. Let me say though, I am, I am actually very excited for uh, the, the game that was, flexed into Sunday night football. Yeah, I'm excited for that too. It's going to be a good one. Because, I mean, it seems like every time they play, um, there's chaos. Uh, Last year, Thursday night football, really early in the season, the Giants had the game won, and then they committed. Dexter Lawrence had an offsides penalty on a game-winning field goal that missed, and Dustin Hopkins ended up making it. And then in in week 18, 
that was the game where Joe Judge did the QB sneak on like fourth and nine, a third and nine, or no, maybe it was fourth and nine. I think it was fourth and nine. Yeah, the QB sneak on fourth and nine from deep in their own territory. Uh, and then, of course, the tie a couple weeks ago. So it, it feels like those two teams can never just play a normal game. So it actually should be a pretty entertaining one. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that game. And my friend actually is um, – my friend went to law school in D.C. and uh, he went to a lot of Commanders games. He's a Giant fan. So he's actually going down to see the game this week. So I think that's it, it's pretty cool. And he said – and he said, I'm going all the way down just for my heart to be crushed. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, I, I just think that at this point in the Giants season, you have to think that if they lose this week, they more often than not will probably, more likely that they will probably lose to the Eagles again. And with two losses in the last three games, it's probably tough to, to make the playoffs. But, uh, you know, the next game is the obviously the ugliest game of the week. It was the Ravens and the Steelers. And, I mean... I just I'm so tired of talking about the the Ravens because they could be so much better than they are and I know that they were dealing with injuries and actually in in years prior when Hunley has played he's actually lit it up for the most part. There was a lot of talk last year after he ended the season as the Ravens starter that hey if this guy gets traded he can make a case to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, and I, I was on that bandwagon as well. And I'm still kind of sort of on that, to be honest with you. And I also think I have a hot take that if Lamar Jackson does sign somewhere else, that I think that Hundley will be the starting quarterback for the Ravens next year. But, I mean, that's something that we could talk about at a later date. But, you know, I don't know. It's just it's so flat offensively. And the the, the Ravens have neglected their offense for years, it seems like now. Uh, the defense really hasn't gotten much better. I know they only gave up 14 points, but they also played against Mitchell Trubisky. So, I mean, you got to take that with a grain of salt. J.K. Dobbins coming back and having 120 yards was nice to see. Um, hopefully he can continue that nice stretch of play for the rest of the season. I, I got to feel like the Ravens are the most boring 9-4 and team that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, they don't feel like they really deserve to win that division. I think that's why everybody's kind of rooting for the for the Bengals in this one. But this was this game was AFC North football times five. I mean, you know, because of those quarterback injuries, Kenny Pickett went out with a concussion. Uh, Tyler Huntley went out with a concussion and Lamar Jackson already wasn't playing. So it became Anthony Brown against Mitchell Trubisky, uh, which nobody wants to see. And I don't, I don't even know. (laughs) No one wants to see that. I think maybe they, the Steelers ended up with like a late field goal or touchdown or something with Trubisky and the Ravens basically did nothing but just hold on for dear life. uh, And it won them the game. Yeah. I mean, that's really it. The only other thing I'll say, the Steelers finally do look like they're headed for that uh, losing season. Good. Under Mike Tomlin, they would have to go 4 0 the rest of the way to avoid it. So I guarantee that they yeah. wind up fucking 9 and 8. <laughs> well, I picked them winning this week because I was like, okay, like they, the Ravens should. I did too. I did too. The Ravens should beat them with Tyler Hartley. But I don't know. It just feels like they're going to, Steelers fans are going to get me again. And they're it, feels, nine and it, eight. Just, it just felt like one of those games that the Steelers shouldn't win. And then at the end of the day, you're shaking your head because you're like, God damn, I knew the Steelers were going to win. It's yeah. just, it's like one of the, it was one of those things. I, I get it. I picked them. That's why I picked them too. They kind of baited me into it, but you're right. It, it, it was one of those games uh, that, that the uh, typical AFC North game. But like I said, moving forward, the Ravens don't really, don't really scare me on any level. Even even when Lamar is healthy, I mean, they don't really scare me that much because the offense has sputtered a lot with Lamar Jackson. I mean, we've seen 
think of the Panthers game, for instance. I mean, that is a good defensive unit as well. But, you know, what did they score? 10 points in that game? 13 they need, points? They need receivers. They've neglected it. I know they lost Rashad Bateman, but they, they needed to do better than that. So I mean, Rashad Bateman was a non-factor even when he was healthy. Yeah. So They, they it, need to do better than that. It's bad. It, the next game is interesting because this is the first time all year that we've seen Russell Wilson actually cook, quote-unquote, uh, and then he winds up getting obliterated and leaves the game with a concussion. So typical football this year for the Denver Broncos. Um, Patrick Mahomes is someone that's it, – it, he's kind of pissing me off this year. And the reason why he's pissing me off this year is because he's having an MVP-like season, as usual, of course. But the guy throws so many boneheaded interceptions for no reason whatsoever. Like, for as good as that underhand flip was, which was, of course – Another move to add in the bag of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that was awesome. That really was cool. Uh, like, you know, three interceptions probably all could have been avoided as well. I, I texted my friend who's a Chiefs fan. I said, I feel like every week there's one, every week, regardless of if, if the, the interception matters or it doesn't, Patrick Mahomes will throw a for no reason boneheaded interception that you're just like, why are you doing that? And I feel like this week was kind of like the cherry, you know, on, on top with the three interceptions kind of led the Broncos back in the game. Because if you didn't remember, this was a, what, 21 to no, 27 to nothing football game. And the final score was 34 to 28. And it's it's not a testament to the Broncos. Let's ride mentality. It's not that. Um, yeah, I mean, give the Broncos credit for executing uh, after those turnovers. Because uh, that's a sentence I didn't I, think we were going to say all year. You no, know, because I, I really, I mean, that's the the shocking thing is, you know, you could look at Russell Wilson's numbers and say, oh, three touchdowns, yeah, but they all came off the turnovers. Listen, I mean, that's a step in the right direction for them. <laughs> the way they've been playing, you'll take it. But um, yeah, the, the turnovers. It's interesting because I, I think they mentioned on the broadcast at the start of the game. Um, that the Chiefs had, I think, the, the worst to- turnover differential, a turnover, yeah, turnover differential of any team in a playoff spot, which is kind of crazy because usually that's a really key stat uh, when it comes to the playoffs. It was, I think, it was minus three or something like that, and obviously now it it's even up, worse. It ended up even worse. Yeah. Um, that it, you know, it feels like that I, that that could cost no matter how good they are, that could cost them in the playoffs. In fact, it did. Last year against the Bengals, I mean, he threw an, an interception uh, in overtime and it on a deep shot that you know was a little bit of a mistake. And then he threw, I believe there's another one in the fourth quarter, or maybe 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 it was the third quarter in that second half against the Bengals uh, that ended up turning into points. Might have been a field goal, which in the end mattered considerably. Yeah. So it, it's not like, hmm, well, if he just turns something, maybe he'll turn it on in the playoffs and it won't matter. It's mattered before. Yeah. So we'll, you know, I don't want to overreact um, and say that like no, you I, know, the Chiefs are doomed because of these turnovers. Yeah. But clearly, like the numbers don't add up that you go into the playoffs with a negative turnover differential and expect to be the Super Bowl favorite. Well, it doesn't just tell you a story about Patrick Mahomes. It tells you that the defense isn't playing well enough to get turnovers exactly. either. Exactly. That's you know, it, it's a double edged sword there. And, and you know, like I said, I think we're reading a little bit too much into it, but. How you play in the regular season is how you're going to play in, in, in the playoffs as well. And Patrick Mahomes consistently week in and week out and is making a boneheaded one boneheaded decision that winds up in a turnover. And you don't know. That could be the turnover that costs you a game in the playoffs. So yeah. I'm just saying I'm just going to put that out there as like a bat signal. 
to in case it happens, be like, hey, I, I warned you. Uh, and but, you know what? They're not. They're not really going to be tested the rest of the way. I mean, they they play the Texans next week. Oh um, my god! Again. They play the Seahawks <laughs> um, at home, which you know, as decent as Seahawks can be, I just don't really. I don't see it. Um, and then the Broncos and Raiders. You know, so it, it feels like we're not really going to have an answer to this question until maybe the wild card round. Although if they get the number two seed, it still looks like they're not going to play a great team. I mean, right now it would be the Patriots. It could be, yeah. it ends up being the Jets. Um, so, but you know, as, as much as we enjoy the Jets, I just, I don't really yeah, see them yeah. going into Kansas City and winning. Uh, well, the Chargers, the, no matter how bad or how good the Chiefs are, the Chargers are, the Chargers are owned by the Chiefs. So if that ends up happening, you know, I don't know if we're going to really have our answer until the divisional round comes along, um, and maybe they're playing the Bengals again because that that could yeah. be the matchup we see. So who knows well, when we'll actually find out? But I'll remember this. As the famous, I'll remember this in the playoffs if it costs them. As the famous saying goes, "We'll see." Said the blind man to his deaf wife. So <laughs> moving on. Oh, oh, this is the story that I wanted to tell you. If you couldn't tell, this was the game that I so egregiously got wrong. Um, Okay, so the whole week I had the 49ers over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Easily. Wasn't even a thought in my mind. And then the pregame really got to me. They showed Tom Brady out on the field like five hours before the game. He had 100 tickets for his closest friends and family. This was only the second time in his career that he was playing in Santa Clara. I said, you know what? It's Tom freaking Brady. Of course he's going to win. And my God, that might be the worst decision I have made, not only all year, but as long as I've been doing Pick'em, podcasting, YouTubing, probably the worst decision of my life, honestly. <laughs> I haven't had bad – I've been pretty effective in my decision-making in life, and this was not one of them. But my God, what an epic fail on my end with this one. Well, what does that tell you? That I, I think that tells me – that's how you know it's not really Tom Brady's year. Because every time it seems like he should come out and win, you know, it seems like the odds are in his favor, which, you know, you could debate whether that was true here. I picked the 49ers, but he just doesn't do it. The narrative isn't really holding up. The narrative is gone. He still had that comeback win against the Saints in prime time, and some people thought maybe the magic was back. The magic is not back. They they still, I mean, listen, let's be honest, 35-7, to this could have been a lot worse than that. It was 35 nothing in the first uh, minute of the – or maybe second minute of the yeah, second Yeah, I mean the, the 49ers not only took their foot off the, the gas, they put the fucking car in park and put the emergency brake on. I think they and threw two the keys over the second half. I legitimately think they threw two, two passes in the second half. Yeah, I mean – and, you know, this just is a testament to how good this San Francisco 49ers defense is because – as much as we'd love to talk about um, Brock Purdy, Big Cock Brock, as that is the nickname I have donned upon him. I don't know if you saw my my poll that I had on Twitter, and I had four nicknames up there that we'll call him for the rest of the year. And I mean, Big Cock Brock took it by like 50 points. So whatever. Anyway, as much as we'd love to talk about it, it is a great story. Yes, Mr. Irrelevant. Fantastic story. Beating Being the first rookie quarterback to ever beat Tom well, – no, the first – quarterback making his first career start against Tom Brady to win. That's amazing, yes, but I mean, listen. 
did he make some really cool throws and really cool plays? He did. He played like a big boy. He played like he belonged. But also, that defense has to instill an immense amount of confidence in you to be like, hey, I could throw an interception right here, and it really doesn't matter because Tom Brady's going to get sacked three times, and it's going to be three and out. That's It's really what it feels like. And honestly, it feels like you could put anyone behind that line. Uh, or you could put anyone out there to play quarterback, and that defense is going to carry them. And right now, I really, really feel like if it wasn't for the Philadelphia Eagles being as good as they are, I feel like the San Francisco 49ers would still be the team to beat, even with all their injuries and with the Brock Purdy playing quarterback. I still how, think they would be the team to how beat. How important was that Christian McCaffrey trade? Now that, oh, yeah. Now, that Debo, now, I don't even know how Debo Samuel is going to come back before the end of the regular season, but he yeah, is. That but, you know, I mean, when we saw that, look, I've never – not going to criticize his reaction to it. I'm sure it was very painful, but you don't usually see somebody crying on the cart and then it's like, oh yeah, he'll be back in three weeks. Just a, it doesn't happen. Maybe maybe Mac Jones earlier in the year had a similar situation where he was like a mess and then he came back in three weeks. How about Michael Clemens last week? <laughs> he was on the cart twice and then came back both times. <laughs> I mean, so I but the Debo's injury looked terrible. Like it it, it looked like his leg was not supposed yeah, to be that way. Bad, so, yeah. I'm I'm actually I'm really happy for them because it just seemed like oh great you know another great game for the 49ers and another huge injury that's probably going to cost them in the playoffs. Luckily, he looks like he's going to be back, uh, but that Christian McCaffrey trade ended up being huge, and he's playing a really big role. He's playing very well, which I think most of us expected in the, in that offense. But he's also been very healthy, mm-hmm. which is key. Um, on the Bucks side, same deal. It's what I said before. The they, the magic isn't there. The offense looks terrible. And it looks like we are destined, unless they somehow lose the division, which um, which we're actually as close Yo, as... I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now, the Carolina Panthers are going to win that fucking If the division. Panthers win this week and the and the Bucks lose... I don't know. Who, I don't even know who the Panthers are playing. But if the Doesn't Bucks matter. Lose, no. <laughs> if the Bucks lose to the Bengals and the Panthers win, the Carolina Panthers are, are at the top of that division. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so but bad. if the Bucks end up pulling it out, which it unfortunately... <laughs> They have to face Colt McCoy now instead of Kyler Murray, so it became a little more likely um, in a couple <laughs> weeks. That's in a couple weeks. Um, unfortunately, that yeah, the, the, the Kyler Murray injury. As much as we don't like him, I feel like it's going to be a little easier for them to beat Colt listen, McCoy. Listen, listen. The defense against Colt McCoy, just like, they're going to do what the Patriots yeah. did in two yeah. weeks. But let me say, um, it looks like if the Bucks win they're almost guaranteed to play the Cowboys. It, it could not be more locked in than it is right now. Oh, wow. So it'll be interesting to see how the uh, how the Cowboys handle that because they did lose to them in the beginning of the year. But on paper, the Cowboys should destroy them. Yeah, so. they should, but they probably we'll won't. We'll see. And then we'll see Tom Brady's 14th Super Bowl appearance or whatever. And Anyway, I don't want to talk about this team anymore. I want to talk about Samantha Darnold leading the Carolina Panthers to victory away from home in Seattle. And let me give you a a, a few reasons why I think Seattle is pretty much done as the feel-good story of of the year, essentially, is because they they had, in the last few weeks, so many chances to really lock in a playoff spot, essentially. They lost at home in overtime to the Raiders. They just lost to the Carolina Panthers at home. They have to play the San Francisco 49ers this week. Then they have to play the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Didn't they lose last week too, or they won? I don't remember what uh, did they win or lose last week. They beat, they barely beat the Rams. They, they, they barely. That's right. That's right. That's right. They, they barely the beat the Rams, and it, it took a last second touchdown from Geno Smith to beat the Rams. Right, right, right. So it's not looking good, and they need a lot of help to make the playoffs at this point because I fully do not expect them to beat the San Francisco 49ers, and I do not expect them to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's going to take a lot of losing from a lot of other teams. And probably a week 18 win for them to make the playoffs. Yeah. Well, the good news for them is that um, one of the commanders and Giants has to lose. So they're in a position where if they win Thursday. Another tie. Well, actually, in that case, I think they're still in good shape. Um, but if they're in a position where if they win Thursday, which I know it seems unlikely, but you, know, you never know. Brock Purdy's apparently dealing with a little bit of an injury. You know, I would say you never know. Um, I think it would be even less of a, of a of a chance that they would win if Josh Johnson was in there. Well, that's <laughs> not a lot of that's not a big vote of confidence in Brock Purdy. Then I, I'm just confident that I'm confident in anyone that takes a snap behind that San Francisco offensive line right now because it just seems like whoever is under center is is going to win a football game because of how good the defense is. All right. Well, well I, 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 I'm so confident that you could put. Nathan Peterman back there, and I'm convinced that he can bring you to a win. I'll go on the record and say it's not impossible for the Seahawks to win that game. I don't know if I'd pick them, probably not, but I do think it's possible. Just, you know, you never, Geno Smith, what did he say at the beginning, at the beginning of the year? They wrote him off, but he didn't write back. <laughs> You're writing him off. I'm not, I'm not writing him off. I'm writing off the team. He's played well. I'm writing I'm off the writing, team no, around. I'm him. not ready to write off Geno Smith and the Seahawks on oh, Thursday. God, I think here there's we go. a chance. So they're in a position where if they win that game, they're in a playoff spot again. Yes, if they lose, now you have huge issues because you could you're probably going to be seven and eight uh, after with two with two games to go, and that's that's a big problem. Uh, that would be also very good news for the Lions. Yeah, because uh, the Lions would instantly have a chance to move up and beat them out even with that tiebreaker. So that's um, yeah, I'm a little worried about the Seahawks, the Panthers. Look, they've still played the way they have most of the year. They're just – they're playing smarter football, I think. The, the talent is what it is. But Sam Darnold is throwing away the ball when before he would throw an interception, which actually is what Chino Smith has done a great job of, at least earlier this year. Um, these former Jets quarterbacks are all of a sudden learning how to play football now that they're no longer with the Jets. Um, talent is an issue with that team. They're just – you know, they, they're, but they're, they're playing harder and they're playing smarter under Steve Wilkes. So they're not out of it yet. And it feels like, man, if they had just won that game against the Falcons where DJ Moore picked up that penalty on the, after the Hail Mary, you know, how different things would be right now. Yeah. They'd be in first place in that division, but they, they've got no time to think about that. They've got no time to regret that. They still have a shot here. So it'd be interesting to see if Sam Darnold can, can lead them to something. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. And honestly, as, as a still a fan of Sam Darnold, I would kind of like to see that. Oh, yeah. um, no, he's he's a good guy. Yeah, hey, he's great. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on to the Sunday night game. All I want to say, I mean, I'm not going to lie, the next two games, the Sunday night football game and the Monday night football game, really, believe it or not, the Sunday night football game left no interest in me. And the reason why is because I was winning my fantasy football league by 20. All I had left was Austin Eckler. And my opponent had Tua, Raheem Mostert, and Tyreek Hill. And I somehow won by 0.6 points, somehow. I don't know how, but I did. But the reason why I didn't watch it is I was, I, I just, 
Like I, I didn't want to see my fantasy season come crumbling down, especially after uh, the other two times I played this opponent last year, I beat him by a combined 116 points. And then to lose like that. Well, I also had Evan Ingram on the bench when Foster Moreau got me zero points. So I fully deserved to lose. I fully deserved yeah, to lose. Unfortunately. Um, but anyway, I didn't really watch any of this. All I want to say is I'm so glad that Emmanuel Acho and his terrible takes was finally shut up just a little bit. I was praying that the that the for mul- multiple reasons, but I was praying that the Chargers were gonna were were gonna win this game. Kind of a weird game. A game that was set up to be an absolute shootout turned into a weird defensive battle. Um, so I'm kind of glad I didn't watch it. But yeah, that's all I want to say. Screw you, Emmanuel Acho. Yeah, and Herbert played really well. They just they only scored 23 because the Dolphins kind of showed up in, with that red zone defense. So for some reason, the Chargers couldn't finish drives. Um, they also had a fourth down attempt uh, on fourth and goal that didn't work. They also had one that worked later on. Uh, but overall, Herbert played really well. And, yeah, I didn't know what people were talking about at first when they were saying social media quarterback. And then I realized what Emmanuel Acho said. Like, that that's embarrassing. Listen, you can think – I not, now you can't. But before maybe you could think that Tua was better than Justin Herbert – that does not make Justin Herbert a social media quarterback. That just means yeah. two is very good. If that's your belief, the, no, how can you even watch uh, more than two or three games of Justin Herbert and call him a social media quarterback? Embarrassing. So that, that was, I'm very glad it proved him wrong. Um, I do remember you being on here saying, really insisting that there was a serious debate between Tua and Justin Herbert earlier in the year and who was the better pick. And I, think, I mean, a six point victory doesn't really say, but, Hey, uh, uh, Justin okay. Herbert's a massive. Tua, Tua was started four of nineteen in this game. I know he was really he was bad. Three of fifteen for twenty-five yards at halftime. I know and, he was bad. Um, I'll give credit though. One very underrated part of this game: the Chargers' defense was missing like four or five starters. Like not yeah. even just, not even just the regulars, like Joey Bosa and Derwin James, like Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, all these guys. They they played really really well, and it wasn't just. I know Tua didn't play his best, but the defense actually, like from the start, was playing with energy. And that's Brandon Staley's group. So I think that was actually a very big night for Brandon Staley. He made good decisions on both sides of the ball um, against a a coach that a lot of people thought was kind of the better version of him, Mike McDaniel, you know, who's bold and young and making these these, um, successful decisions and and working with a young quarterback. Brandon Staley had a little bit of a resurgent night for himself. Yeah. Um, Monday night, the Monday night game, that's like I treated it like you treated the Sunday night game. I was watching Creighton and Arizona State play basketball by the I was watching game. the Ranger game. Yeah, so I I I had Creighton up on up, up on the TV and they were more entertaining than than the Patriots and Cardinals. Of course, the elephant in the room, um, Kyler Murray's not gonna play until maybe next October. Yeah. Before his ACL and and you know, by the time he's back on the field, I fully expect that there's gonna be a new head coach on the sideline for the Cardinals. Even with Colt McCoy, they didn't play well. They underperformed what they should have. So, um, you know, <laughs> there's a long way to go for the Cardinals. Clearly, yeah, it's 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 not right. looking good in the in yeah. the short term or long term future for them. It's there's a lot wrong with this team. Their secondary is bad. Their running game is bad. Their offensive line is old and terrible. Uh, their quarterback that now is on IR plays far too much war zone. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's a mess over there and they're quickly turning into, you know, a, I, to me, it, it seems like they're turning into a Rams right now. It's just, it's an embarrassment of an organization. 
right now. But uh, I do want to say, I do want to make a shout out of someone that is criminally underrated and is having obviously the best year of his career. And that's Josh Uchi. The dude is a baller, man. I mean, 10 sacks now probably deserves to be defensive player of the week in the AFC. Uh, was just an absolute menace to society uh, in Arizona. And I'm sure Colt McCoy is having nightmares about seeing that dude. And this is just a typical second to third round pick that everyone's going to underestimate that Bill Belichick makes. Uh, you know, Michigan guys has has a bad for not a bad first year has an underwhelming first year doesn't really play I think this is his third year now doesn't he plays better his second year then he takes the third year leap and man he has been unstoppable the last couple of weeks he's been fantastic I think he's got like five and a half sacks in his last two weeks he's been really really good um him and Matt Judon yeah, it's it's no. been great. Judon has I don't I did I think Judon had a half a sack last night. So he's up to I think 14 on the year and now Uchi has 10. They they're playing really really well and I I I think and the way just for the way that the defense has played, they deserve a playoff spot because this is a a defense that consistently year in and year out the last 3 or 4 years has lost a key defensive starter. And Bill Belichick just doesn't even bat an eye and just drafts like a fifth round safety from, you know, Blue Mountain State and you know, and turns him into an all pro. But yeah, I, I that's I really just wanted to give a quick shout out there. Um I, I think that he's been playing out of his mind and he deserves some credit there for sure. And one guy on the other side of the ball to watch, um, for not well, same side of the ball, different team, Zach Allen. For the, on the yeah. defense, having a really good year. He's going to be a free agent, by the way, too. So going to be a free agent. He's going to get paid. He's having a great year at the right yeah. time. Uh, so, you know, the pass rush. I know the offenses weren't good last night, but part of it is these pass rush attacks um, with some very underrated pieces. Definitely. And uh, before we let you guys go, and before I let you go, Dan, I know we wanted to talk briefly about, you know, what's been going on in the World Cup and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, right before we started recording today, which is – uh, Tuesday, December thirteenth, uh, we the Argentina dominated Croatia and is now on to their second World Cup final in the last three attempts. Uh, just a different Argentina team that we've seen from even even the first time around in twenty fourteen when they made the final. Uh, it was really all messy, and it was it was all messy, and their defense wasn't really that great. This year, it's it's not only is it all messy. But you're getting contributions from Enzo Martinez. Julian Alvarez is also quietly putting himself second in the Golden Boot race in the World Cup. You're getting a lot of contributions, and defensively, they're playing they're playing some scary soccer defensively, but they're playing organized. So, I mean, today was kind of a, it wasn't a great example because they just look like world beaters against Croatia. Um, a little bit of retribution because last World Cup in 2018 in the group stage, Croatia dominated. Argentina three nothing. So the reverse right here, and I think I think Messi's just a man on a mission at this point. He is playing. He's thirty five years old. He's playing like he's twenty five years old again. He is just making mincemeat out of the defense. He's making incredible passes. I know he's three of his five goals have been penalties, but he's really acting more of a creator this World Cup than anything. More of a of like a a false nine or a number ten. He's been fantastic and. You know, we don't have the other side of the World Cup final set yet. That's tomorrow afternoon, Morocco and France. 
And while I do think France is going to come out on top, I think it's going to be a much closer game than we expect. Morocco has played close to perfection on the defensive side. Uh, they, they defend so concisely, so organized. They never panic. They have, they play great soccer on the counterattack. You know, they get the ball out in space. They have speedsters everywhere and they play the long ball pretty well and they score a goal when they need to. So I could, I could see this being like a close one, nothing France win, or maybe even like two, one in extra time. Um, and you never even know. Morocco has the basically the entire world behind them because no one wants to see France win again, and no one wants to see them go on to the World Cup final again. Or well, everyone that's not French, I guess I would say, one doesn't want to see them go through. Um, but this Morocco side just has so much life to them. They're they're, and people might think that they play boring soccer because they play so well defensively. Not the case at all. On the counterattack, it is electric. They they play some they again they play scary defense, kind of like uh, Argentina does, but it's more organized than anything. You know they they absorb pressure, they give up chances, but at the end of the day, they play very very well, and I think they're a lot better than people give them credit for. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. And then on the flip side of that, if France do go on and win. Then we get a rematch of the most entertaining match from the 2013 World, uh, 2018 World Cup. What a story that would be if if we ended up with Morocco and Argentina in the final. It's not my prediction because France is that talented. Um, but could you imagine, you know, a scenario where either Messi wins the World Cup uh, or Morocco somehow pulls out the miracle of the century? You know, as good as they've been, that would still be a miraculous yeah win. Um, that would be some storyline heading into that final. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know we just wanted to touch on that before we eventually wrapped up. So, I mean, two episodes this week. So we got to take the next three weeks off. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, Dan and I, I think I speak for both of us when I say that we're very happy that we can get both of these episodes out to you this oh, week. Yeah. Uh, I know that, you know, scheduling and everything hasn't been as, you know, we usually try and get everything out on Monday morning or Tuesday morning. but Things, you know, holiday season, Dan has a weird work schedule. I have a weird work schedule, trying to get everything out to you in a timely manner as possible. And we just want to give you the the utmost content that we can and, and have a good time doing it. So I'm glad that we can get this other episode out to you. This is episode 21. So now we got to look towards yeah. the next milestone, which is episode 25. So that'll probably happen in like the middle of 2023 or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, the good news is there's always something happening. There's always things to talk about. So we, you know, we could essentially schedule any time, any day. Yeah. And still have stuff to talk about. We're never going to be sitting here and, and not have good content to talk about. So that's cool. And if, if for some reason there wasn't, we'd probably just make our own and have some fun with it. But, I agree. Um, yeah, we'll hope to we'll hope to to have another episode for you guys before Christmas. I think we got plenty of time. I mean, yeah. December. This is coming out on December fourteenth. I think we got plenty of time to to churn out another one and then go from there. Yep. Uh, you know, busy time of year. We got the the. NFL season. We, I mean, we talked so much about the playoff picture in this one. So the end of the NFL season is coming up. The World Cup ends on Sunday, uh, and there's plenty else going on. So looking forward to uh, to number twenty two. I am as well, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on again. That was double Dan because we gave you a double feature this week. I am Parlay Pete. That is slowly but surely turning into bad take Pete as the weeks go on. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 21 of the ASM podcast, and we can't wait to see you back for episode 22.